0: Genesis chapter 9 this morning we're going to wrap up the events of Noah's life as they're recorded in Genesis and so far his life has been exciting and challenging and faith-filled we find his name among others who walked by faith in Hebrews chapter 11 but this morning's part of Noah's life's journey is different it's sad to be honest with you, we find Noah lowering his spiritual guard, which resulted in family tragedy. Um, God recorded it. It's part of Noah's journey. God doesn't lie just to make his what we would consider heroes of the faith look great. Uh, He tells the raw facts the way they are. Um, Maybe you or your family are in the middle of a tragedy. Uh, God is still there. He was still there with Noah And his family, Um, he's still able to work, and he continues to work. It just might not be as smooth as what you had hoped for. Uh, And it wasn't very smooth in this part of Noah's story in uh, the last 350 years of his life. We don't know exactly when that happened. Uh, Why don't we read verses 18 through 29 together, and then we'll jump into it. Now, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Don't know why it says that. They all had sons, uh, but we have an indicator. He says that. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father And told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren, And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And may may God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. If we stepped back and got a panoramic view of Noah's life, We know who his father uh, was and what son of Adam he was from. Other than that, we don't have much about what happened in the first 500 years of his life. But then he had three sons. He was a man dedicated to following God. God chose Noah, communicated with him, instructed him to build an ark. We have the ark experience and all of the information surrounding that. Noah gets off the ark after a year and a few days, 371 actually, makes an altar to the Lord and offers some of every clean animal. God receives that, makes a covenant with Noah and his sons and all flesh for all generations. So that means that covenant that was made with Noah is made with you and I as well and all flesh that walks this earth. Noah goes on to live 350 years after the flood, 950 years total. That's the third longest person that's recorded in length in the Bible. There was only one story about Noah recorded after his offering and God's covenant with him uh, during that 350 years. That all by itself makes it significant, that in that 350-year time frame, there's just one story that's mentioned. But it's a sad event. It's a blemish in the life of God's man. And frankly, it just seems unexpected and out of place. And yet we find it in Genesis chapter 9, which is just as much inspired by God as the creation account, as Jesus' birth and the resurrection. And so we pay attention to it. It becomes a significant part as we understand uh, God's plan for the nations Through Noah's three sons and we're going to look into that next week, Genesis chapter 10. Let me encourage you to just make yourself plow your way through those names in that genealogy. We'll talk about that next week. It becomes a significant part. Um, You can follow some of their influence through Israel's history, his three sons. We even find Noah's three sons referenced in prophecies concerning end times event. And I want us to recognize and be reminded, but not use it as an excuse. God is able to use even the ugly and sinful things that happened with Noah and his three sons to accomplish his purpose. And that's what he's going to do. Uh, so God is able to do that. That doesn't mean we can say Noah did it, I can do it, or everybody else is doing it, I can do it. We follow the Lord. That's who we're supposed to follow. We're not supposed to follow Noah. We're not supposed to follow everybody else in Christianity. We're especially not supposed to follow people on social media. Don't do that. I hope you got that wisdom. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. <laughs> it's easy to get caught up in, isn't it? Sometimes I get so caught up in my day to day activities in life that I lose track of the big picture. And somehow Noah got caught up in his after the flood activities that he laid aside his spiritual testimony, got drunk, decided to get naked, and it created a crisis. It's easy to get so caught up in the day to day activities of life that we lose sight of the big picture, the picture that shows who or what we really give ourselves to and I want to remind us and Noah reminds us actually the big picture of who you are before the Lord is a big deal it's a big deal all right God's grace is there yes absolutely but the big picture is a big deal verse 18 says the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, how does that seem for out of place? Because Shem had sons, and Ham had sons, and Japheth had sons, and yet, sons, and yet for some reason, five different times we find Canaan's name mentioned here. It almost gives us the idea, and it's true, that something's going to happen with Canaan. And that was the case. These three were the sons of Noah from these... The people of the whole earth were dispersed. And can I just say this makes racism and one's understanding of races a bit odd. When we trace our roots back to Noah's three sons and then back to Noah and then ultimately back to, uh, to Adam as well, that makes the idea that we have in our day of racism something that is completely out of place if we'll use our biblical understanding and our mind. Um, It, regardless of which of Noah's sons someone is an ancestor or came from, everyone is created, we're reminded, in the image of God. First we were descendants of Adam, then we were all descendants of Noah, and then everyone and all people groups on the earth can be traced back to one of Noah's three sons. So think about that just for a second. That means that the Chinese and the Russians and the Brazilians and the Americans and the American Indians and the Hispanic, and the Korean, and the Japanese, and on and on and on, are all from these three sons. So for me to think that my race, or my people group, the Bible doesn't even use the word race, for me to think that my people group is superior to another people group, is really absurd biblically. And yet we see it in our world all the time. The idea of I'm better than because I do things my way is what it really comes down to what that must mean is that the dna potential was present within these three sons of noah for the physical differences and the changes that would come as people groups adapted to their various different climates around the world and we're going to find them dispersed in genesis chapter 11 as they moved out into the world after the tower of babel creating different cultures and different people groups racism is a big deal in our day and as much as we try and hold it down or put it into check it seems to just escalate more and more that's because the sinfulness of man's heart doesn't change Uh, It doesn't have to do with the language that we speak or the color of our skin. It's because the sinfulness of man's heart doesn't change. And so racism is a big big deal. Cultural differences is a significant contributor to racism. Not the only contributor, but a significant contributor to racism. It doesn't have to be a foreign culture. It can be a subculture right here in the United States. Do you mind me saying that when we came to Lone Jack, we encountered a different culture? Y'all are a people group, okay? (laughs) It was different than South Kansas City. It's just different, and that doesn't make South Kansas City better or worse, or you guys better. And I'm I'm one of you now. We have the same blood. It doesn't make us any better or any worse. It just means that we're a little bit different. Being raised in a culture different than, ones, than the others around me, especially when there's skin color and language differences involved, can be a significant contributor to racism. The idea that we're superior. And aren't we as Americans? Isn't that the temptation that we want to think is that we're just a little bit better? We have folks among us that have experienced cultural adjustments, culture shock, if you will. Um, quite a few, actually. Uh, I have many times. I joined the Navy when I was 17, lived over in Japan, different culture. And I know firsthand the first response is, I'm right, they're wrong, because they sit on the different, on the other side of the car doesn 't have anything to do with right and wrong, um, and yet we, we take it to that to that level. We have quite a few people here who have cultural diversity in their families, Kathy and I, and our kids, Kakuvi and Amayo and Brian, Chiago and Kristen, and their two boys, Ashley and her kids, Brian, my son, Daniel, and Paulina and theirs. The Holstons and their kids, Matt and Claudia and their kids, Natine and Anna, who are gonna be mom and dad again uh, in October. They've got cultural differences in their families. We we experience that. That doesn't make anybody superior and anybody else inferior. And do you know what a third culture kid is? A third culture kid is someone like my kids who mom and dad are American and yet they grow up in Brazil, and so they're really not American because they grew up in Brazil, and yet they're not really Brazilian because they're are raised in an American home. So they got this unique third culture thing going on. And we've got a lot of kids in our church that experience that. And, and, if, and it really gets absurd. And we recognize what can happen when we watch the news these days. Um, but to recognize that all of mankind, every single one, red and yellow, black and white, whether they speak English, Hispanic, Chinese, whatever it might be, we are all created in God's image. Amen. Whether you're a believer and walk and and follow Jesus or you don't believe, you don't walk with Jesus, you don't follow him, you're still created in God's image. And I think that's one of the reasons that he said to Noah, of all of the things that he could have emphasized, don't shed man's blood because you are created in my image. And so we need to raise that up to a very high level. These were the three sons, says in verse 19 of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. When you consider we're all made in God's image, we all come from one blood. That's what it says in Acts chapter 17, I believe. We'll look at it next week. Racism doesn't make sense, but it's there because such is the sinfulness of mankind. Probably one of the reasons God told Noah, uh, don't shed man's blood. Verse 20 says this, Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. We don't know how much time had gone by since he had gotten off of the ark, since he had made a sacrifice to the Lord that was received from every clean animal uh, that was on the ark. We don't know how long it had been, but enough time that he was able to plant a vineyard, reap whatever the fruit was, maybe it was grapes, doesn't say it was grapes, reap whatever the fruit was, make some wine, drink it, and get drunk. So that much time had gone by. We also Excuse me. We also know it's enough time for his three sons to begin to have sons of their own, according to chapter 10, verse 1. They didn't have any prior to. They didn't have any on the ark. There was enough time there, but chapter 10, verse 1 indicates that they began having sons after they'd gotten off the ark. Verse 20, Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, walked backwards, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards. They did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, So let me just walk us through the events. He planted something that he was able to make wine from and made wine, probably learned that skill, if we want to call it that, in the pre-flood days. I'm sure it was an issue then. He became drunk, out of control, laid there naked in his own tent. Likely, likely, Shem, Ham, and Japheth had their own tents with their own families by now. They wouldn't have lived in Noah's tent, likely. Noah might not have anticipated Ham coming at the time, But he did. And the next thing you know, Ham comes in and he sees his father in his nakedness. And we don't know what he did, but it says he did something. And it says that Noah knew what he did after he awoke from his drunkenness as well. And so we speculate, and we can't draw a line on anything in particular. Some speculate that he mocked his father. You're the righteous one. You're the one who God gave you the instructions to build the ark. And now look at you in this drunken, naked stupor, just making fun of him in that way. Others speculate, and we don't know. Others speculate something immoral. The word nakedness is used three times, once viewed by Ham, twice not viewed by Shem and Japheth. Um, Some have even speculated maybe a homosexual activity. Others have said because of Leviticus chapter 18, which references that a man's nakedness extends to his wife as well, that something might have happened there. We don't know. Bottom line. But what we do know is that Noah dropped his guard got drunk, thought he would be fine, and the next thing you know, we have a family turmoil that is lasting all the way through to today. That's a pretty big effect that it has. Ham told his two brothers, the word told can mean I declared, I announced, I heard one preacher even say that he did it joyously, hey, look at dad and what he did, that kind of a mentality. Um, you got to see this. Uh, these men are not young at this time. These aren't 13 and 14-year-olds that are going and seeing dad. They're 100-plus years old. That would be like 39-plus years older than me, okay? And so they're old. Um, Shem and Japheth's reactions was different than Ham's. They walked in backwards in order to not see their father's nakedness. Out of respect to their father, rather than boasting to their brothers or stepping into that boast, they put a cloak or a cover on their shoulders and walked in backwards in reverence to their father to cover up his nakedness. When Noah, verse 24, awoke from his wine, it says he knew what his youngest son had done to him, and whatever it was, it resulted in a curse. A curse that continues on even today. And this curse and the word that's used has a little bit of a possible different twist than what we might think. But it is declared as a curse. A curse on, listen to this one, a curse on Canaan. I can hear Canaan saying, what have I got to do with this? It wasn't me. It was my dad. And yet it was a curse on Canaan. Five different times his name is used here. I want us to talk about the curse in a minute, but it's important to say this. Don't let your spiritual guard down. And your 30 or 40 or 50 years of faithfulness to the Lord, Noah's 650 years of faithfulness to the Lord, doesn't mean that we don't encounter temptations. And we need to continue to grow and be committed to and submit to and confess and, and ask God for his mercy every single day of our life all the way until the last breath that we take. And, and I, I, I know that just the disciplines of life when men get older, I'm talking to men because of Noah, there's women as well, we, we just get locked into the things that we do and, and we're moral. But he didn't and he wouldn't. This is Noah. This is the only one on the world that was found righteous that God said, build an ark, and I'm going to preserve my line through you. If it happened to him, it can happen to you and I as well. You who think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Amen? What a sober warning. No, in pun intended. <laughs> uh, let's just move on. <laughs> Don't let your spiritual guard down. I heard that, Kathy. You were first. (laughs) Is Ham responsible? Yes. Will Canaan show himself to be Israel's nemesis? Yes. But Noah has his part in this family failure as well. It was him who got drunk and found himself naked in his tent in order for his son to do whatever he did and shame him. All right. The curse. Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall be. You know what? We just need to stop right here and say, I glance up and I'm looking at Mickey. Mickey has a Thursday night. (laughs) Mickey has a Thursday night ministry that he has a heartbeat for. And it is helping people who are who are are seeking to not be dependent upon drugs and alcohol and it's people helping people and it's not just for our church um, it's for the community as well and if you know somebody uh, Mickey we gave him about 100 cards and we'll get another 100 or 200 if we need to but if you know somebody that might that might benefit from that kind of a ministry this is christian based they're going to hear the gospel they're going to hear god's truth as well and they're going to be encouraged to walk with other people so they don't walk in the shamefulness of being addicted to something because of the sinfulness of our world okay it isn't just theirs it's our world it affects our whole world now, why I just want i want i want to bring light to that and aren't we glad that mickey has a heartbeat for doing that amen Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God, verse 27, enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. We've seen the name of Canaan used five different times in these verses, verse 18, 22, 24, 26, and 27. It seems strange, but it sets the stage for something that's coming that involves Canaan and his descendants, and indeed, it did happen. We find later that it's Canaan's descendants who dwell in the land promised to Abraham, the land of Canaan, uh, where where uh, where who where God gave uh, specifically to Israel. They were difficult for the children of Israel. They would be described as a wicked and idolatrous person in scripture, idolatrous people, strong and fierce in cities that were large and fortified. The Israelite spies would despise would describe them as Nephilim, like the descendants of Enoch giants, which made them feel like grasshoppers. And among the descendants, we find the Hivites. You'll recognize these names, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites. And those were the descendants of Canaan. And so this curse lived its way out, played its way out. I want us to see that God even used Noah's fault his fall, his sin, whatever you want to call it—I don't want to get hung up on that. I want us to see that God used his fault even to accomplish His plan. That's incredible because we find we find the Canaanites and the descendants of and the descendants of Noah being described in prophetic prophetic uh, portions of Scripture as well. We'll find them over in the Book of Revelation as well. It sets in motion, it probably would be bit better to say it continues in motion, God's plan for the nations and for the ages. So you might say, so was it God's will that Noah gets drunk and finds himself naked so his son can shame him in whatever he did? No, absolutely not. God forbid. And yet he's even able to use those things. That's how awesome and powerful our God is able uh, uh, to perform. That's what he does. It sets in motion, continues in motion. God's plan for the ages, the curse, and a bit about it. Let me read this. Anthropologists, even secular ones, trace the people groups, the nations that are mentioned in Genesis 10 from these three sons backwards with what they say is relative certainty. These are secular people as well and they're able to identify the, the descendants of Shem and the areas that they lived in, and the descendants of Japheth and the areas they lived in, and the descendants of Ham and the areas that they lived in as well. They identified those from Shem from whom would come the messianic line, and we'll find that out in Genesis 12 because of Abraham, uh, Abram at the time. They identify those from Shem from whom would come the messianic line as religiously motivated monotheistic people groups. Isn't that kind of interesting all by itself? I didn't mean they follow. God or love Jesus, but they were God. One God is one people groups. Noah's word about Shem was this: "Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant." And this servant doesn't have with it the idea of a home slave or a slave, but it has with it the idea of he will serve the people groups of Shem. The people groups of Ham will serve the people groups of Shem. They also identify those from Japheth as those who settled in the world regions. science and philosophy were prominent places like Greece and Rome and later on the Americas Um, uh, and what God said to uh, him through Noah, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. From Ham, they identify pioneer people groups and settlers and cultivators, the uh, inventors. And to him it was said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be, he be to his brothers. So his servanthood wasn't so much the idea of slavery, but in that what they did and their people groups would serve the other people groups. And I want to read something to us. In general, however, it's been true throughout history that the Semites have been dominated by religious motivations centered in monotheism, like the Jews and the Muslims, and then it gives some other examples as well. The Japhethites... Uh, especially the Greeks and the Romans and later the Europeans and Americans have stressed science and philosophy in their development. The Hamites would be the Egyptians and the Phoenicians and the Orientals and the Africans have used their great pioneering uh, that opens up the world to settlements, to cultivation, and to technology. And so these groups, this Hamite group of people, served the other two brothers and their groups of people. Although Noah's threefold prophecy has been abundantly fulfilled in general and in principle throughout history, it surely allows for individual expression. There can be exceptions. Uh, That is, a particular descendant of Ham may be very spiritually minded, especially by the grace of God, and become a fruitful servant of the true God. A particular descendant of Japheth may be dull of mind while the others were skilled with uh, being philosophers um, or or in in technology, a particular semi maybe an atheist it all depends on the grace of God but it's interesting that because of this activity that Noah began and then his son continued Noah cursed his grandson and we see that playing out um, through our world as well Noah let his guard down a very sad event in the Genesis account of his life and there's something or a couple of things that we can learn just because you're used by God doesn't mean you get a pass on temptation. Just because you're used by God, even significantly, doesn't mean you get a pass on temptation. Actually, I don't know if you get more tempted because the idea of temptation and sin is no respecter of persons. Um, you get tempted. doesn't mean God won't let it be known either. We want to let our sins and our dark areas not be known among other people. And the next thing you know... Here we are thousands of years later talking about Noah and the shame that he had. So it doesn't mean that it won't be known either. Temptation and sin is no respecter of persons. Here we have Noah. Abraham doesn't fare all that well all the time either. And then there's Elijah hiding in a cave after he's greatly used of God. And we can talk of David and his fall or Solomon. And we could go on and on and on. And we want to learn the lesson of Noah without walking in the shoes of Noah. Just because we're older doesn't mean we won't be tempted and find ourselves shaming not only ourselves, but especially the God that we serve. And I think about uh, the prophet who spoke to David that said, you have given cause for the enemy to blaspheme God. And when we hear of preachers who fall, sometimes one of the first things that we want to say is they're not really believers. How would you know? How would I know? We don't know what's going on in their heart. But what we do know is that they've given opportunity for the enemy to blaspheme. And for that, um, we need to be extremely careful that we don't drop our guard. Temptation and sin is no respecter of persons. (laughs) You don't ever get so old that there isn't temptation. You can have your moral life lined up great, but that doesn't mean you get so old that there's not temptation. It might be a faith crisis when you've come to death's door. And can I add that if you're in a faith crisis when you come to death's door, the answer isn't, Lord, look at what I've done for you, Matthew 7. The answer is Jesus, and only Jesus and the grace of God and his blood that can cleanse me from my sin. It might be fear, fear of what's going on in the world that is way out of my control and I think the older I get the more I recognize everything is out of my control it's incredible and that can be a temptation to fear it could be financial temptation it doesn't mean dependent upon where you are that the temptation is doing something uh, inappropriate in order to be able to pay your bills to make ends meet that might be that case could be it could be a temptation of I hold on way too tight to the, to the things that God has provided for me. Um, that can be a temptation when we get older. And they go on and on and on. Even the aged and everyone, actually, who is tempted. The spiritual truth of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 holds true. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Oh, I'll never, I'll never be tempted to do what Noah I've been driving for 45 years, 42 years. I'm not going to be tempted to do that. But can I be transparent? But do you want to know what thought passed my mind? This is just absurd all by itself. So marijuana is legal, and I'm thinking, hey, that's just absurd all by itself. He was out of control. Don't don't think you stand so firmly that you won't fall. Be careful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, let him who... I have no gummies at my house, okay? (laughs) Right, Kath? (laughs) Oh, wow. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, period, Every time, all the time, with Noah also. Who will, all, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may, may, may be able to bear it. So I'm walking along in the, in the senior years of life and uh, temptation comes my way and the exit is here and I got to turn and take the exit. But you know what? If I'm walking along and the exit is here, God doesn't say I'm going to give you another exit. And if I decide I'm going to pass it and I'm going to stand because I'm strong in the Lord, well, maybe you will and maybe you won't. No, it didn't. There's no temptation taking us, but such as is common, God will give us a way of escape. We don't know exactly when this event happened in Noah's last 350 years. What we do know is later on, when the New Testament writer penned the book of Hebrews, Noah is included in Hebrews. The Hebrews Hall of Fame is what it's known as, as one of the men who were faithful to the Lord. uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Finish with this. A couple of years ago, Kathy and I were at a premiere movie showing uh, up either in Blue Springs or Oak Grove, I can't remember where, and we saw a friend of ours, uh, Chuck and Linda Lynch, a couple that we've known for a long time, known for over 40 years, 42, 43 years, and we saw Chuck and Linda Lynch. Chuck was one of my professors at Calvary Bible College 40 years earlier, and of all of the things that he could have said to me, wow, in the five minutes that we spent with him was this Jerry finish well and then this counselor of preachers said it's very rare that preachers finish well but let's take that beyond the preacher realm all right you finish well we don't want to live for the Lord and sacrifice and genuinely serve him and honestly believe in him and seek to follow him and and be persecuted for him and whatever it is that life throws our way, we don't want to do that up until the senior year and then not finish well. Was Noah... Received by God, yes, God is graceful, God is kind, we find him in Hebrews chapter 11, we don't know if it happened 100 years after he got off the ark or when, and we hope he repented and, and he walked in fellowship with the Lord many years, we hope, but we need to finish well, we can learn the lesson of Noah without putting Noah's shoes on. We can learn the lesson of David and adultery without putting the shoes on of adultery. We can learn the lesson of pride and lifting ourselves up without walking like those who walk in pride. We need to run well and we need to finish well. Paul said this. Paul said this in somewhere. <laughs> He would tell the Corinthian believers to run their their spiritual race in such a way that they would obtain a prize. So today, while you're living, the next five years if you get that many, and 10 and 20, run your race in such a way that you receive a prize. Shed off what you don't need to have on so you can run effectively and receive a prize. And then finish well. Don't run the race and not cross the finish line. That's just absurd. It's a good word for all of us to hear. Paul would say this to second, to Timothy in second Timothy four. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. I am losing my life. I'm dying. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Finish the race. Run it well and finish it well. Now we've got to be really careful because one of these days, and I think this is going to be so cool, we're going to be able to sit down and talk about what happened with Noah if that even comes to our mind when we're with Noah in eternity. I don't even know if it will. But we're going to be able to sit down and talk with him about that. We need to learn Noah's lesson. Noah had so much said about him that was so incredible how God used him. And we recognize it wasn't Noah, it was God using Noah. And then we, then we close the book of his life with this event of him being out of control and it affecting his family and affecting the rest of the world as well. He would tell the Corinthian believers, run the race, spiritual race, such a way that we could obtain the prize. But to the Galatians, he would say, you were running well. Who hindered you? You were running well. You were doing great. What happened? Who was it? What was it? So how are you running? Are you running well? in such a way that you'll obtain the prize from the Lord, not from me or anyone else, from the Lord. Don't let anyone hinder you. Short accounts of sin, quick confession, submission, always being bathed in the word of God, seeking to obey the Lord the minute we hear a spirit's prompting so that we can run well and then finish well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. And my prayer, Lord, for me and everyone in this place is that we would finish our spiritual race well. And Father, would you, by the power of your Spirit, just right this second, show each of us individually if there's something that's hindering us from running well, be it pride or habits or eyes, whatever it might be that we might submit ourselves to you, run in a way that glorifies you so that we can finish well. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.